Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. My name is Danielle Vogel, and you're listening to the very last episode of season three of Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio. This is a show about the little things you can do to minimize your personal carbon footprint. We're all about empowering you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making just by being a little bit more mindful about the way you eat, drink, shop, and think. This isn't hard stuff, but over the course of the last three seasons, we've shown you a million little ways that you can reduce your personal carbon footprint in a way that is economically efficient, convenient, and empowering. So thank you for taking the time to listen and learn over the course of the season and the past two. And today we've got a little bit of a different style show for you. Um, I am our guest, (laughs) and I'm going to be talking specifics about the way we have designed and evolved at Glens Garden Market in order to empower the neighbors that step through our doors to make incremental climate change progress one bit at a time. And the idea is that, you know, I founded this business on Earth Day of 2013 specifically to make climate change progress. Uh, That's pretty rare, certainly. And the, the takeaway I hope for everyone from today is you don't have to do all of these things, but I'm hoping that some of them might inspire you to make small changes either in your personal life or in your business. Um, you know, and it's a little bit of a menu and a little bit of a choose your own adventure. But I wanted to share all the things that we're doing to give you the full suite of options um, to empower you to take control of the pace of environmental progress you're making on a daily basis. Um, so there are 15 or 20 different elements at Glenn's, uh, and I'm just going to walk through them one by one to give a little bit of background, a little bit of uh, explanation of where the policies came from and what we think their impact has been. So we'll start with super simple. At Glenn's Garden Market, we only offer reusable bags. Um, we don't have paper or plastic bags. Extremely strange for a grocery store. But we serve about 1,000 neighbors a day, and it gives us 1,000 opportunities to have a conversation about our mission and values. So we, you know, an upside and an economic upside of the bags is that they basically look like big billboards for Glens Garden Market, which is great. Um, But the idea is that they are instigating a change in behavior. They're teaching people that we shouldn't just mindfully accept a plastic, or I'm sorry, mindlessly accept a plastic bag because it's there. Um, in DC, we charge five, they charge five cents for a plastic bag because the money goes to Chesapeake Bay restoration efforts. But wouldn't it be better if we weren't sending plastic bags into the bay to begin with? Um, even paper bags, you know, sometimes they're made from recycled content, but certainly not always, and they're very resource intensive to generate. So if we could skip the bag altogether, that would be ideal. You know, before reduce, reuse, and recycle comes refuse. So if you're only buying a sandwich or you're only buying a drink, like, you actually don't need a bag. Just skip it. But if you do need the bag, obviously, the reusable bags are the better way to go. And that's why that's the only option that we offer at Glens. So 
we pass through the cost. It's we you know we charge seventy five cents a bag. That's what it costs us to make and store and ship them, um, and we pass that directly through. We're not making money on these bags, but the idea is we want people to think a little bit harder about taking bags in the first place. And when they do take bags, we want them to have the opportunity to continue to reuse them um, in order to you know, defray demand for paper and plastic um, in the marketplace. So reusable bags. Uh, number one. And then number two is we stopped using straws. So you know the little like hot sippy cups you get at Starbucks, for instance, for coffee? We have invested in similar designs for cold cups so that we don't need straws at all. So it's almost like a little sippy cup lid that we put on our cold drinks as well as our hot drinks. So just mind you, you know, I'm a lawyer first and a grocer second. I keep a box on hand of compostable plastic straws in order to be ADA compliant because not all guests um, are able to use those the sippy cups as we intend them. Um, so we are able to accommodate everyone in that respect, but we don't offer the straws. Um, and again, it's sort of forcing the choice of refuse before reduce, reuse, and recycle um, because they're just needless. They're just needless. So we don't have straws. Um, it's sort of one of many ways we subliminally encourage the right choice. Just don't give people the option of choosing poorly. <laughs> okay. Number three is responsible waste streaming and community compost. So anywhere you find a trash can at Glens, you'll also find a recycling bin and a compost container. Um, and that's great up until the moment when the compost is contaminated. So signage is absolutely paramount and it needs to be as simple as possible because if the waste stream gets contaminated, frankly, like all the best in the intentions in the world are, are functionally irrelevant. So, you know, we put up, and we, this is definitely a work in progress, I'm happy to admit that, but we put up signs that we just keep simplifying and simplifying and simplifying. So on the compost container, the sign just simply says food and paper. Any food and paper products you've got in the store can be composted. Um, the recycling container explains, you know, plastic and glass. Um, and then the trash container says landfill, because again, we're trying to trigger like, hmm, everybody knows it's probably bad to put waste in a landfill. We'd rather divert waste if possible. So then here are two simple steps for doing so right next to it. Um, in addition to composting internally, we have a community compost program. So we invite the, our neighbors to bring their compost to Glens in unlimited quantities for free. And because we are using an industrial compost stream, we can accept a very wide range of compostable, what are called organics. It doesn't need to be like certified organic, but organic matter. Um, and so that means we can take meat scraps, for instance. So rather than having to wait for the farmer's market to drop off your compost and you're going to have to pay to do that, or setting up your own contract with a compost hauler at home, which you know, frankly, maybe too high a barrier to entry for many people. Um, you can just bring it by Glens, and frankly, we don't even need to be open. Um, on Regularly, we show up to open the store in the morning, there's compost sitting outside waiting for us to dispose of it, happy to do it. Um, so that's something that's really, really simple, and we can encourage people to bring their compost. They certainly don't have to buy anything. They're, we're just basically a repository. And the idea is that we're encouraging people to engage in compost practices at home. Um, okay, so we talked about how signage is super important. What's also really, really important is staff education. Um, because if the team doesn't understand how the three waste streams work, um, you can be sure they're not going to be able to teach your customers how they work. Additionally, they're going to be contaminating the waste streams themselves. So you, 
on a periodic basis, we engage in re-education for the team to make sure that everybody understands the difference between recycling, landfill, and compost. Um, and then finally, the most important part, well, one, one important part is making sure that your waste removal partners care. Um, and the reason, like, I'm just going to give you, like, the real basic, most practical reason why this matters. Um, all three waste streams are picked up by different services. We've got one, like, overarching contract that handles all three of the contracts, but um, the waste haulers are different from the recycling haulers are different from the compost haulers. So... Sometimes the waste haulers don't show up to do their job or the recycling haulers don't come to pick up the recycling. And if the recycling becomes full, then the recycling ends up in the compactor. Um, so we really need to stay on top of making sure that all three waste streams are serviced responsibly and continuously um, because we, we have to dispose of the waste somehow. And so if the containers that they're intended for are full, we unfortunately have to divert that waste to other streams. Now, this contaminates the other streams. Like imagine if you're putting, you know, bags of garbage into the recycling dumpster. That sucks. I mean, that that could literally compromise the entire recycling dumpster. So we want to make sure that is not happening. So, you know, we've trained our team to speak up if we've missed a pickup so that we can get an emergency pickup scheduled right away so that we don't ha we don't force ourselves into a position of having ourselves to commingle waste streams that we've been so careful um, to segregate in the first place. So, um, you know, you got to have waste removal partners that really take the job seriously and that are responsive um, when things go wrong because you know, that's sort of inevitable. All right, so moving on to containers. This is one that we talk about all the time. Um, and we've actually been through a little bit of an evolution on. So at Glens, we've got a deli in the back. We've got a cafe in the front. We have myriad containment needs. So we thought a lot about plastics versus compostables. Um, and we went with compostables for a while. Um, and they are definitely more expensive, but this is going to sound a little bit counterintuitive. The problem with using compostables that look like plastic is that they're not recyclable. So we happen to live in a society where, you know, people that care about responsible waste stream management are putting their plastic in the recycling bin. And that is a good thing, unless it's compostable, because the compostable, air quotes, plastic is not recyclable. So what we realized was we were sending these containers out into the world with the best of intentions, and they were actually ending up contaminating the recycling stream, which is the opposite of what we were hoping for. So we receded back to using recyclable deli containers because we thought, you know, let's just lean into the social instinct to recycle the things that look like plastic. So let's put out things that can be recycled and they will be more likely responsibly waste streamed in the end. Um, so that goes for our cutlery as well. So the, you know, the forks, knives, and spoons are all recyclable, and the plastic that looks like de the deli containers are all recyclable as well. Um, we use paper plates. If people are dining in-house, those, of course, are paper, so they're compostable. Um, but the point is, like, if you're going to send something out of the building, um, you want to give it its best chance to be ultimately responsibly waste streamed. So I'm just suggesting that like it is not in fact likely the best environmental results to use compostables that won't be composted. Um, just a little something to, to think about. Okay, our next element is at Glens, we operate under a no food waste mandate. So 
basically the chefs have to play chop challenge every day. Um, they are not allowed to put food into landfill. Um, the reasons for that we've gone over many, many times over the course of everyday enviro, but just to synopsize quickly, um, food is extremely energy intensive to cultivate and then to transport and then certainly to refrigerate. And then when it breaks down, it emits methane, which is significantly more CO2 intensive than carbon dioxide itself. So that's all to say that when you take food and put it in landfill, you're like really punching the environment in the gut. Um, so we don't want to be doing that. So the chefs aren't allowed to. Um, so over the course of the seven years that we've been operating, um, we've developed a number of recipes for absorbing what's called coal, C-U-L-L, -L, which means the stuff that can't be sold in its original state anymore for whatever reason. Um, perhaps it's just not looking its best. Maybe um, the date is expired. There are a million reasons why. Um, and so the chefs and the, and the team of cooks have to absorb those items. Now, occasionally it will sort of make it past the point of resuscitation. So, uh, you know, from time to time you might have molding on citrus or you might have, um, you know, a bunch of kale that, that is so far gone it really can't be repurposed. Um, and in that case, they are certainly allowed to compost those materials, um, but they're not allowed to put any food product into landfill. Um, and that is actually really economically efficient because as little sense as it makes for the environment to put food in landfill, it makes way less sense for the balance sheet. Um, we've paid for the food. We've paid for the distributor to bring us the food. We've paid for the receiver to take it off the dock. We've paid for the stocker to put it on the shelf. And now we're going to pay for the waste hauler to take it away. That's like crazy. Um, so I'd r much rather intercept it um, and be able to add some value to it and then you know, sell it at, at a price that works for the business. Um, it's good for the environment and it's, it's good for the balance sheet. So thinking about implementing a no waste mandate uh, has, has, there are many arguments for it, both environmental and economic. So I'd encourage you to think about that as you think about whether this might be a good fit for your organization. All right, next thing is beef. Beef is extremely energy intensive and water consumptive. Um, you know, I happen to be an omnivore, so I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite, but uh, skipping meat is probably the single best thing you can do to reduce your personal carbon footprint. So in service of that reality, uh, a couple of years ago, we took beef off of our menus. We took steak out of the salad case. Um, we took roast beef off the sandwich menu. Um, and we did that again to kind of force the hand. So the idea is you can't, you know, if you're not afforded a choice, you can't opt poorly. Uh, <laughs> and so we don't even offer those things on the menu anymore. Uh, one of the things we couldn't do without for demand reasons were meatballs. So we took a nice hard look at our meatball recipe and we were able to cut the beef in half by adding quinoa, which is so great. Um, quinoa happens to be a fully digestible vegetarian protein. Um, it is, you know, renowned for being really healthy and many people are looking to reduce meat in their diets to begin with. So now we can offer a meatball that still does have a little bit of beef that's, of course, locally and sustainably ranched, but it also has, you know, half part quinoa, um, which makes it a little bit lighter, a little bit more healthy, but more importantly, like 50% better for the environment, which is really cool. Um, and another thing we do sort of along those lines is we mess with our menu formats. So at Glenn's, whenever you look at a menu, you will always find the vegan and vegetarian options at the top of the menu. Why? 
because people are lazy and they will just order the first thing they read. So we're just trying to create yet another subliminal encouragement to choose well for the environment. So we put the vegan and vegetarian options at the top of the menu and we still give people their choices. You know, you can still order your delicious grilled chicken breast foghorn sandwich, um, but we have put a veggie option in your way. Um, and that, you know, if you're, again, if you're thinking about translating any of these initiatives to your own business or food service operation, it doesn't cost you anything. It's so inexpensive. And yet it does, you know, very dramatically preference choice in favor of environmentalism, which is a great thing. Um, all right. So moving right along, uh, local sourcing. So the idea originally behind Glens was that everything we sold was going to be sourced from the states of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. I thought that that was a much more logical delineation than just putting my finger on a map and drawing a circle around it, uh, because that would have been arbitrary in so many ways. Like, how, how long is the radius? And, you know, if the line cuts a town in half, like, are we really going to sit there and figure out which side of the line the town's farm is on? Uh, no, and neither is anybody else that tells you they're doing that. So that didn't seem like either intellectually honest or uh, particularly productive to me. So instead, we chose to have our radius be defined as the states that touch the Chesapeake Bay because we're humans, therefore we're animals, therefore we derive our vitality from water. Um, and so it seemed very appropriate to me to align our food shed with our watershed. So that's what we did. Um, but I'll tell you in the beginning, we were really rigorous. We made no exceptions. Um, we didn't sell orange juice. We didn't sell bananas. We didn't sell berries this time of year. Um, and it nearly put us out of business, point blank. Um, People viewed us as basically a cheese and charcuterie accompaniment shop. It was somewhere they could come in to grab a little bit of this and a little bit of that if they were having guests. But it wasn't a place where they could do their entire grocery shop because we, by virtue of that product mix decision, had made it really inconvenient to shop at Glens. And people are really short on time. And so if it is inconvenient to shop at a place, they're not going to bring their business to you. So over the course of time, we started to evolve the sourcing standards. Um, frankly, this all came to a head when me and, and my chef at the time went down to Whole Foods to try to figure out, you know, if we're going to expand the product mix, what are the things that we need to carry? And we walked into to the Whole Foods on P Street and we stood in their produce department and it's super easy to identify the Glens Garden Market shoppers. They walk through the doors because they are carrying their Glens Garden Market reusable bag. Um, and so we could see our people and we could sort of follow them in a non-creepy distance and figure out what they were putting into their baskets. And they were buying things like kale and apples and granola, which we sell. But then perhaps a banana or maybe an avocado. And what we realized was we were losing control of their entire basket because we didn't have the one or two convenience items they needed to complete their shop. And so in service of maximizing our change agency, we decided that if we could mindfully source a few of what we call exception products, we could make it much more convenient to shop Eklund's. And if it's more convenient, you're more likely to do it. And if you do it, you have to sort of play within our rules when you're there. So the idea was that we could get a lot more mileage out of each basket sold um, if we could capture an entire grocery list. And so, you know, we started this in... Um, February of 2016, I believe. Um, and ever since, we look 
a little bit more broadly when we're sourcing new products. We apply a set of sourcing standards that have been derived from the judging criteria for the National Good Food Awards, um, but locality is not uh, a disqualifier anymore. So we're able, we were able to build out our product mix and able to really cultivate a spectacular specialty foods uh, store. But at the same time, we could have those one or two, one or two is an understatement by far, but we could have the, that, that set of utility items that made it possible to shop at Glenn's. And by doing that, we could really throw a lot more support behind the local purveyors who we really wanted to magnify. Um, so finally, on that point, in the seven years that we've been open, we've launched as of two weeks or about three weeks from now, uh, 90 local small food businesses. And of those 90, 55 are owned by women and 24 were founded by people of color. So the idea there is that we are incubating and accelerating sustainability-minded small batch food producers um, in order ultimately to displace demand for industrially produced food. So the idea is that if we can help stand them up and get them ready for prime time, then ultimately they can pitch the bigger retailers and they can kick the crap off the shelves. So through these local producers who share our commitment to, to sustainability, we're able to extend the tentacles of the Glens movement beyond the four walls of the store. All right, so that is seven ideas for sustainability. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we will go through a couple more. All right, welcome back to Everyday Enviro on Full Service Radio. Today, I'm hosting myself, and we're talking about, and by we I mean me, I am talking about the ways in which Glens Garden Market uh, empowers our neighborhood to make incremental climate change progress. So in the first half of the show, we talked about our reusable bag policy, the fact that we skip straws, responsible waste streaming practices, um, deli containers and cutlery and plates. We talked about our no-waste mandate taking beef off of our menus, and local sourcing. So now we're going to walk through the harder ones, the, one, the more expensive ones potentially, because if you've made it through the break, I think I've, I've got your attention. So now we are done with the low-hanging fruit, and we're going to move to the more significant investments in sustainability. So top of the list is we are 100% solar powered. So that does not mean that we've installed an array on the roof. We don't own our building. That's not an option for us. It means we have entered into what's called a power purchase agreement to buy renewable energy credits to cover the entirety of our energy draw. So as well as we do it at Glens, we are still at the end of the day, a room surrounded by refrigerators. That is a very energy intensive proposition. So. Um, rather than continuing to draw, you know, to increase demand for coal, which unfortunately in this part of the country, the mid-Atlantic is the primary generation source in our mix, um, we've said no. We want to invest in what are called renewable energy credits. We want to send a signal to the market that somebody drawing this much energy wants to draw it from solar resources. So we've done a couple of episodes about this. I don't want to go too much into detail about how RECs work. You can look back um, uh, for that one. I'd recommend the episode with Emily Robichard about community power. We really got into it in that one. Uh, but the idea is that we are 100% solar powered. 
This is as easy as a checkbox on your utility bill, um, but it will impact your energy costs. Uh, it's considerably more cost-effective than it once was, um, but it is but it is certainly still an additional investment in power. So you know you got to ask yourself like. If we don't have a world to live in in 12 years, will it really matter if I paid more for energy now? Nope. So think about opting in um, and creating market demand for clean generation resources. Okay, next thing is our building materials. So even though we don't own the building, we did a major renovation when we moved in. Uh, we sort of inherited a, a big two-floor space with no walls in it, so we got to choose everything. So because we had founded our business specifically to make climate change progress, we were able to make really strategic choices when it came to what we were using to build the space. So if you've ever been into Glens, you know that there's like very beautiful reclaimed wood um, throughout most of the cafe space, and it's a huge f uh, feature by our, by our checkout. Um, but I wonder if you've ever thought to yourself, I wonder where that wood came from. I'm about to tell you. So um, I have a friend named Calvin Riggleman, and he was a third generation family farmer. And he was doing his second tour of duty in Iraq when one of his buddies said to him, you know, Calvin, um, if you were to take your produce and figure out how to preserve it, you could perhaps create a business that would sustain your family more reliably than the farm stand by the side of the road in Loom, West Virginia. And he thought that sounds like a pretty good idea. So he came back from his tour of duty and he created a company that takes the name of his marine nickname. His name is Calvin Riggleman. The company is called Big Rigs. And he came out with close to 300 different preservation products. So everything from, you know, jams to marmalades to vinegars to mustards. And he was able to take the produce that his family was growing and create this value-added product, which now created a really sustainable revenue stream for his family. And it was delicious. And they got into Whole Foods and they got into Walmart. And he was able to get out of the cattle ranching business. So obviously, making a deeper investment in produce and away from cattle ranching is a very climate-forward transition. And so when that happened, he allowed me to come down to the barn and reclaim the cattle fencing. So all of the wood that you see at Glens is actually reclaimed from real West Virginia cattle fences. And the idea was I wanted to take the story of the growth of his sustainable small business and like literally build my business out of it. So that's where our wood came from. The bar tops, some of them are, are black, and the ones that are black are actually 100% post-consumer recycled paper that's been compressed. And you'd never know. So they're 100% paper bar tops that function as real bar tops, which is so cool. So those are the bar tops at the checkout and over sort of by the, uh, the dividing line to the middle of the cafe. And uh, that's called paper stone. If you're interested in potentially looking into that for your own home or business, it's really cool stuff. Um, but wasn't quite durable enough for the actual bar itself. So for that, we used a um, surface that we got uh, that is concrete with recycled glass bottles pressed into it. So it looks like granite, but it's actually concrete and recycled materials. So that was another one that was pretty neat to find. Um, and then finally, the probably the most, definitely the most energy intensive piece of equipment in the store are the refrigerators. So when we ordered them, we also had most of them retrofit with glass doors to prevent the leaching of hydrofluorocarbons into the atmosphere. So that's pretty great. 
Um, it's not great for sales. The research shows that putting a piece of glass between the consumer and the product uh, depresses their likelihood of choosing the product. And I have to tell you, I've watched it happen. I've watched people walk up to those glass doors, not figure out how to open them and walk away without the thing. Uh, it's confounding. I mean, you already made it all the way to the grocery store. Like, really, you can't open the door. But this is, this is reality, and this is what we're dealing with. So we did it anyway um, because it was important to meeting our environmental goals. So we've got the glass retrofit, and then we've got those like really cool sustainable building materials that come with the story all right our next thing this couldn't be sec less sexy uh all of our toilets are low flow toilets um so this sort of fits again into the category of forcing a choice that people don't realize they're making which is ultimately good for the environment so every time you flush the toilet at glens you're wasting half as much water as you would be under other circumstances um, we also installed double pane glass on our front windows so that we are really energy efficient, um, which again is one that is good for the PL in the same way that it's good for the environment. Why would we want to be paying even more, leaching even more heating into the atmosphere when we're already paying more for it because it's uh, because we've opted into the renewable energy credits? Um, so the double pane glass is really great for um, for heat conservation, but um, you know, and it wasn't particularly expensive to do it. All right, the next thing is we put air curtains and plastic curtains over the places where we're most likely to have heat transfer. So we happen to have an elevator in the back of the store that leads to a loading dock. So on the loading dock side, we have a plastic curtain so that that minimizes airflow into the store. And then on the side inside the store, we have what's called an air curtain. So it's a, a, it's a machine that blows air straight down. So it prevents hot or cold air from coming into or leaving the store, depending on the season. Um, this is something that costs us about 6,000 bucks, but it dramatically improves the quality of the air inside the space. Um, that elevator shaft is not insulated. So the fact that we're able to block air um, from coming into the store in the hot heat of summer and leaving uh, heat leaving the store in the middle of winter is really, really good for energy efficiency. Um, next, we built our walk-in freezer inside of our walk-in refrigerator. And the idea there was it makes z ha, zero sense <laughs> to open the freezer door into the ambient temperature of the kitchen, which tends to be pretty hot. But if you're opening the freezer door into the refrigerator, there's a much reduced differential there. Um, so that's a really good, nice energy savings technique that's also good for the preservation of the freezer because it doesn't have to work quite as hard. You can imagine that if you, if you open a freezer door into a hot kitchen, um, all of the machinery that keeps the freezer cold is just chugging and chugging and chugging to get the temperature back down. But if you're opening it into you know, a 39 degree refrigerator, you don't have the same amount of burden on the equipment. So you're losing less energy, which is great for the environment and great for the bills. Um, next, of course, all of our refrigerators are as energy efficient as, as exists on the market. And we built them on what's called a refrigeration rack. So instead of being um, what are called self-contained units, all of our refrigerators are sort of, if you can like to simplify this, like they're kind of strung together um, so that there's one big machine that keeps them all cold instead of having an individual machine keeping each one cold. And that leads to a significant savings of energy over time. Um, next, this one's really, really basic and easy to convert to home use or office use. We use environmentally safe cleaning chemicals. Um, seems like an absolute no-brainer. Um, and then finally, this one's the most fun way we spread the message. 
we teach others in the industry what we're doing. So I probably do about 50 speaking engagements a year. I'm going you know, to trade shows and to events and activations and basically anywhere I can go to teach people what we're doing about environmentalism, I never say no. And the idea there is none of this is closed source. I mean, I literally just ran through like 90% of the stuff that we do for the environment because I want you to know it, because I want you to do it, because if I can empower you to activate, then collectively we're creating a community to make climate change progress, um, to reduce our personal carbon footprint. Um, and so it's not, you know, proprietary. It's not a secret. I want as many people as can possibly know what we're doing to know what we're doing so that they can pick and choose what might work for them. Um, because the cumulative impact over time is very, very significant. So, you know, at Glenn's we have a saying, which is we make the right decisions, but we don't wear the t-shirt. Whereas, to be perfectly blunt, other people in the industry are doing very little and claiming a disproportionate amount of credit. But the takeaway here, and I really hope you guys hear this, is you don't have to be perfect to be progressive. Every little bit counts. All right, team, this is it for Everyday Enviro Season 3. This is the last battle cry you're going to hear, so I hope it lingers. Climate change is real. It's happening right now, and human activity is making it worse. Every little bit counts. Please keep finding little ways to minimize your personal carbon footprint. It really matters, and it's urgently necessary. The actions you take don't have to be big or expensive, frankly, or inconvenient. We've given you tons of ideas for making incremental climate change progress throughout three seasons of Everyday Enviro. But the fact of the matter is you truly do need to act now. We've run out of time to pontificate and we need to do what we can on a daily basis to reverse the impacts of climate change. Stay strong, climate warriors, but don't stay silent. Act up. It's time. Bye, friends. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at fullserviceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.